So a fellow had a dog that learned to talk. And the man, excited about his pet, um, took the dog to a talent agent trying to get him on one of these numerous reality TV shows. This dog can speak, he told a skeptical television agent. Okay, sport, the man says to his dog, what's on the top of a house? The dog says, roof. (laughs) And the talent agent shakes his head and says, come on, all dogs go roof. No, wait, the owner pushes back. There's more. He says to the dog, what does sandpaper feel like? And he says, rough. (laughs) The agent rolls his eyes, losing his patience. No, hang on, hang on, the man says. This one will amaze you. He turns to his dog and he asks the dog, who, in your opinion is the greatest baseball player of all time. The dog says, Ruth. The man says, and with that, uh, the talent agent, having endured enough, kicked him out of his office, and they go walking down the street, and as they're walking down the street, the dog turns to his owner, and he says, I probably should have said Hank Aaron. (laughs) The point of the story, if you have something to say, Say it as well as you can. Say it as well as you can. Don't hold back. Well, give John, the gospel writer, credit because John's gospel tries to say it as well as he can. Compared to the other gospels that talk about the Easter story, John leaves almost nothing unsaid. In fact, John's telling of the Easter story is the longest It has the most dialogue. It has the most detail. It has the most number of characters and activity, and it's all related to what happened on that first Easter morning. I'm pretty sure you know something about the story. It's why you're here today. It was early morning. The women went to the tomb. The stone was rolled away. There's some confusion and misunderstanding, but Christ is risen. That's what we celebrate this day. But listen now to the story as it comes from the gospel according to John. It's found in chapter 20. This is what it says. In the early morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said, they have taken away the Lord from the tomb and we do not know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running along together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. He also saw the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other clothes, but was folded up in its, in, in its own place. And then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, also went inside and he saw and he believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. And then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary stood outside near the tomb crying. And as she cried, she bent to look into the tomb She saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, Woman, 
Why are you crying? She replied, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. And as soon as she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to Mary, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't hold on to me, for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And then she told them what he said to her. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Here's what I want to do today. I want to recall the basics of this story a bit more, and then I want us to consider just what this story might mean for you. Just what this story might mean for our lives, our daily, our often difficult, often complicated aspects of life in this world. What does this story mean to us? That's the question. Easter begins in darkness with dread and death seemingly holding the day. John describes it like this, early in the morning while it was still dark. I'm sure most of you know about darkness. The darkness of the night before the dawn of morning comes. But I know you, many of you well. And I know you also know, I'm sure, the darkness of the soul. When all the light seems blocked out and everything seems so heavy and uncertain. You know about that. We live in a time of lots of darkness. Gun violence has become as American as baseball and apple pie. School children, concert goers, parade participants... People at other public events keep paying for their lives, for our obsession with the Second Amendment. That brings a lot of darkness. We also have great suffering in our communities because of poverty and because of politics. It's been another dizzying week of politics where it appears our democracy is increasingly in peril. We also have Mr. Putin destroying Ukraine more and more every day and even talking about nuclear weapons. We are also nearing this point in our environment where the elements that are critical for living are very much in peril. There's lots of darkness. You know about darkness. Just this week, I spent three more days with police officers from across the state who attended a seminar sponsored by the Virginia Law Enforcement Assistance Program. This is the 28th seminar that the Virginia Law Enforcement Assistance Program, an organization that I helped to found following the shootings at Virginia Tech, has done. 28th one, that's more than 1,100 police officers who have come through our program, and the first program was held in our chapel in 2009. 
The main topics of this seminar are dark, trauma, depression, suicide, and the impossible challenges that people in this profession who seek to protect and serve across the commonwealth are all dealing with in these days. Lots of darkness. Most of us know too much about darkness. Easter begins in the darkness. Mary comes to the tomb. In this story, she comes by herself, and the stone has been rolled away. So right away, we know, we recognize this story wants to change our perspectives, lift our gaze. When Mary uh, finds it altogether different than she was expecting it, this is a point that wants to change our perspectives. Are you, are we open to seeing things differently? Are you, are we able to lift our gaze out of the darkness, out of the crazy life that's all too familiar, all too often bad, and able to see something altogether different? Are you? Can we? On this resurrection day, what might we see together? We got communities trying to build their life after horrific storms that sweep across mostly the central United States. We have layers of systemic racism that we're trying to overcome. We have young people trying to figure out their, their identities, their purpose in life, who they can trust, who really loves them. Many of you are dealing with Tremendous uncertainty and transitions and worries. It can be hard to see the dawn amidst the things that come our way. It can be hard to see a new perspective with what we're dealing with. It's often so difficult to think that God might actually be present and at work in the midst of us. It's often hard to think that way, that the light of God can change your darkness. It's Easter, friends. Will we see differently? And how will we see differently? You, me, all of us. When Mary and Peter uh, peer into the tomb, they are shocked and full of uncertainty. They discover that Jesus is not there, but it says they didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. They didn't understand it wasn't part of their thinking. Across 35 years of pastoral ministry, I have not counted the number of funerals that I've done. Children, young people, older people, people killed in accidents, often violently, people who died far too young and too quickly, from some difficult disease and also people who lived a long and faithful and wonderful life. Some of these people I didn't even know. Others I knew and I loved as if they were my own family. People who nurtured me and shared faith with me and inspired me. People whose death covered my own heart with grief and a sense of loss. Through all the years, whenever we gather to celebrate life, whenever we gather to affirm God's promises of 
new life, whenever we do this, it reminds me that the love of God simply refuses to give in to the power of death. Yes, death separates us from loved ones. Yes, yes, death brings grief and loss. And that's where Mary is on that Easter morning. But even death does not have the power to pull us away from God. And since that's true, our lives take a different shape. Our lives take a different focus. We live with love. And we live with purpose, and we live with hope, and we live toward life always. We live with faith, faith, even in the face of huge loss. We live seeking to trust God because the promise is God holds us, holds us all and our loved ones, and holds us forever. That's the promise. This Easter story also has this question that appears twice in this particular passage. Why are you crying? Why are you crying? Well, we cry because we love. And we cry because our losses are real. And we cry because hurts and grief can absolutely overwhelm us. Resurrection is not the promise that life is all easy and rosy. Resurrection is not a message of quick relief, relief from our setbacks and deepest sorrows. There are often lots of tears along the way, tears in our suffering. There can be a long call for patience amidst the tribulations that come our way. Fairy tales end with the idea that they lived happily ever after. Resurrection is not a fairy tale. Resurrection is a truth. It's a framework for our lives, our living. It's a course setting for how we approach every day. Resurrection comes on the other side of suffering as we see it in the Jesus story. Resurrection emerges through our tears when we can begin to see more clearly, see God, see light, See God's presence overcoming the troubles of the day. When we see and our perspectives get changed. As you might guess, I am in these days trying to figure out how to clear out my study. If any of you have ever seen my study, I have far too many books. And I have far too many folders filled with ministry things. In this process of cleaning out and going through and tending to my study, I've rediscovered some very sacred items, all of which have brought back some cherished memories from my life in ministry. I found a note from one of you following the death of your loved one. It had been a long and difficult chapter, a slow decline with lots of challenge. Yet the note was full of faith, full of peace. Clearly, resurrection was shining through the heartache. Loss is real, but so is God's presence 
and God's promises of new life, eternal life, and God holding us forever. I found a note from a couple who had been through a season when each partner had been so cruel to the other, had done such harm to the other, uh, words that were unkind, even actions that were vicious and abusive. And yet, despite the hardships, that couple found a way to stay together, to make a life, to sustain a marriage, to find a better journey. And that couple remains together today, now approaching retirement. That's resurrection. There was despair and death, and then life prevails. It's all by God's great and amazing grace, pervasive love, abiding presence, promises. I came upon a gift given to me from someone who almost died from alcoholism whose days were so dark and whose hope was so lost, whose family had totally given up on him, and with God's help and through a caring community and hard days of treatment, he found life and he found peace and he found purposes, resurrection. There was a picture from a member of a previous church where I served of a sunrise and the ocean, and there were dolphins swimming in the surf. This person had been through a terrible regimen of chemotherapy and exhausted from the fight, had gone to the beach for some solace. And the sentence on the back of the picture, whether we live or whether we die, we belong to God. Here's the deal. If you have something to say, say it as well as you can. Darkness is real. Weeping is often part of life. Questions abound. Doubt can unsettle us. But the stone was rolled away. Jesus was not there. God always gets the last word. We cannot give in. We can't. We cannot let the principalities and powers prevail. We, we belong to God. Life is full of surprises. Life is full of hope. That's the resurrection. Friends, Christian faith is always about how God continues to reach into the graves that we dig for ourselves. Reach in and pull us out, giving us new life in both dramatic and small ways. So you know the story. You know it. Resurrection. But the question is, what's next? What's next for you and me, especially as we go from this place, this Easter, and all the days ahead? Resurrection is not just a theory. It's not just some knowledge. It's not some piece of theology. Resurrection intends absolutely to direct how we live. With whom and how can you use your words saying it as best as you can, or your actions to spread compassion and peace and hope and other things that God cares most about. Easter is not just a moment. It's not just a day. It intends to change our lives and how we function, how we live and serve as resurrection people. So 
So what's next? What's next for you? What's next for me? Who needs your care? Who needs your compassion and attention? Who needs your presence to be reminded that darkness is real, but God's light is stronger? Death is ever around us, but life emerges because of God. God's presence, God's promises, God's victory. They're for us. They're for the whole world. And it's up to us to make it real, to live it out today, tomorrow, forever, in our families, in our communities, through our city, and the world. Remember, with resurrection, the worst thing is never the last thing. God has the last thing. The wonderful poet Mary Oliver puts the question very directly. So what are you going to do with your one wild and precious life? What are you going to do? Will we respond to the resurrection of Jesus like those who were there? Not in fear, but in telling others as best we can, in words and actions, we have seen the Lord. We know the Lord is at work. We belong to God. This is what holds us. This is what drives us and guides us forever. Friends, Christ is risen. Let us pray. Move in our midst, O God, with power and spirit and keep shaping us as your faithful, loving, serving, resurrection people. Alleluia. Amen.